What's up, skeptics? I'm your host, Zoe McDaniel, and you're listening to Professional Skepticism. Okay, so today I have a very special guest with me. He's one of my closest friends, an earth angel. I have his area code tattooed on my wrist um, unintentionally, but I do. <laughs> I thought that said 858. I'm sorry. This one says 858. This one says 828. Oh, okay. Okay. Aaron Chance Wilson. He goes by he, him pronouns, right? We talked about this. And you're a Taurus. Correct. I don't remember your moon and rising. Yeah, I don't remember them either. I think I have them, but I don't remember them. Yeah, my chart's a clusterfuck. It really is. Yeah. I didn't know that. Those are my words, right? (laughs) Yes. Those are your exact words. This is a clusterfuck. Let me look at your your chart real quick. Yeah, it's, uh, it's all over the place. Put you on blast a little bit. Yeah. You have a Libra moon and a Sagittarius rising. Cool. Is that good? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate it. Well, that's good. If you did, I probably wouldn't be here. No, exactly. No, we're very compatible. We're like a good duo for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I love Taurus. I actually love all of those signs. It's just an interesting combo is your big three. Yeah. Like, the Libra moon, I think, explains a lot. Like, why you're very, like, in your head and, like, you talk a lot. You're very talkative. You process your emotions, like, very intensely. Yeah, that's me. And then your Sag rising is that kind of, like, I don't give a fuck, like, hectic, chaotic energy Which that you bring. They they kind of contradict each other, I feel like, almost. They do. That's how I feel about my Sagittarius sun and my... Pisces moon. It's like my Pisces moon is incredibly intuitive and emotional and healing, but also very much a crybaby and like very emotional in some of the negative ways. And then my Sagittarius son is like, I'm going to go fling myself off a mountain and like start a family and have some goats and then buy a boat. <laughs> or like... You can't do all that if you fling yourself off a mountain, but we can try. No. You doubt me. You doubt me. I don't doubt you at all. No, I don't. <laughs> I appreciate you. All right. So, my name is Aaron Chance Wilson. And today, I don't know why I'm taking your job. I'm sorry. We're talking about the <laughs> Altamont Free Concert. I don't mind. Yeah. The, uh, was it 1969 concert? Yep. Saturday, December 6, 1969. The Altamont Free Concert. That's a big plane. Do you hear it? I do. I saw one on the way over here. It was very low. Yeah. I always forget how close... They, some of them get crazy low, and I'm like, this is not safe. <laughs> okay, but yeah, you can take it away. I feel like I like took a quick glimpse at your notes, and it seems like you might have done a very, very well-researched job over there. Well, you looked at one page of one and a half pages. so <laughs> I have like three or four pages, so it's cool. So it seems like you did more research than I did. I, a part of my research section is called Conversation with Dad. So, because like my dad, you know? Yeah. Trap Dad. He knows things. Trap Dad knows things. So my notes start with just the lineup, which was Santana, Jefferson Airplane, the Flying Burrito Brothers, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and the Rolling Stones. The Grateful Dead were 
scheduled to play that day. We'll get into more of that later, but they did ended up not playing that day at all. Well, they had a gig later that night, but at this Altamont Free concert, they said no. So three th- 300,000 people showed up to this concert. Reports show that there were... It, it was not meant to house 300,000 people. I think it was... They were expecting like 100,000, and, and then they got 300,000. So there were four deaths total uh, from this day. Two from a hit and run, one drowning attributed to acid. Throwback. And Meredith Hunter was stabbed to death in front of the stage by the Hells Angels. Damn, you're just laying it all out there. Is that not what I'm supposed to do? (laughs) Did you know there were also four births? I heard something about that on the podcast I listened to, but I didn't look much into it. There was four deaths and four babies were born. I think that's incredibly symbolic. Uh, What goes around comes around. Yeah. That's really cool. No, I didn't didn't look much into that, but I, I did hear that. I don't think there's much to look into other than just there were pregnant ladies there that had babies, which seems crazy that there'd be four babies born on that day. Four newborns took their first breath at this concert. That's so dope. That's nuts. I wonder where they're at today. I bet we could Google them and find them. It's probably not that hard. (laughs) I mean, I would be bragging about it if I was born at the Ultimate concert. For sure. So where do your notes go? Oh, um, cause I feel like we have a lot, we might have a lot of, of the same yeah. as well. Well, okay. So my notes start with my conversation with dad because I am a fake fan. Um, I, the only Rolling Stones song that I could really sit here and tell you I know is Paint It Black. Great song. Great song. Love that song. But like, I know, like I know other songs, like I heard them, but like, I just don't know the names. Like I'm not like super big into it. It's actually super funny. When I was watching the Gimme Shelter documentary, I texted my dad. We live in the same house, but I texted him and I was like, is Mick Jagger an asshole? Because he was kind of an asshole in that documentary, Mm -hmm. except when he was on stage. I think he handled that like pretty well, but like just him, I was like, oh my God, he's such a douchebag. And so I texted my dad. I want to read what he said. It's three, two, one. I keep seeing angel numbers. I'm in psychosis. Okay. I keep seeing four, four, four a lot. You're protected. Is that what that means? Yeah. Cool. So I said, is Mick Jagger an asshole? He said, never met him. (laughs) (laughs) He said, but he's a very smart man who is the leader of a humongous business, the Rolling Stones. He was an accountant at the beginning, and he just protects what is his. He can be quite affable, but he's serious also. I give him a big thumbs up. And I said, just wondering. He seems like an ass in this documentary I'm watching, but I'm an ass too. And then I said, which albums should I listen to? Their discography is a mess on Spotify. He said, Sticky Fingers, Let It Bleed, Beggar's Banquet, Some Girls, It's Only Rock and Roll, Through the Past Darkly. Yeah, he's an ass, but he has to be. There's so many albums. I didn't list anything from since 1980. Most since then have a few good songs. And I said, ha, 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 thank you. He said, being an ass is why you'll succeed, by the way. That's good advice. (laughs) I was like, thanks, Dad. I agree, though. Like, what was that message? Oh, no. I just opened a message I probably should not have opened right now. Fuck, 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 fuck. Okay. Do you have red receipts on? No. Oh, good. (laughs) No, no, they, no, they don't know. Feel bad. Um, I'll answer it after this. Oh my god, I feel bad. Okay, but yeah, so yeah, I thought that was good advice. I was like, because sometimes I'm like, I don't know. I think people think I'm like a bit of a bitch, or like who? Where are they at? 
I love you. I don't know. I get people telling me that I'm like intimidating or like too confident. And I'm like, that's a personal problem. That's a good thing when you're apart. Yeah, I agree. So that was where the conversation with dad started. I was like, I don't know the Rolling Stones. Like, I don't know their reputation. I just know they're like a big thing. So I wrote setting the scene. It's 1969, like Altamont Free Concert era. Robert Kennedy had been killed and he had been shot and killed in 1968. He was running for president, probably would have had the Democratic nomination. Nixon had just been reelected. Woodstock had just happened. And while it was beautiful, it was also chaotic. And like, you know, I'll probably do an episode on Woodstock and talk about that. But overall, 1969 was ending on a dreary note after the summer of love. It was like up, 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 and then kind of down. The 60s had a lot of deaths. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed in 68. There was a lot of like really beautiful things and really tragic things going on. And overall, just negative vibes. My dad said in reference to the Altamont free concert, this is a quote, the whole concert stunk. Right on cue. <laughs> um, so as for the Rolling Stones, they came over during the British invasion with the Beatles, the Kinks, the Who. Beatles were first, the Rolling Stones were second, and they were all like the same age and everything. They're all good friends. The Beatles wrote a song for the Rolling Stones, I Want to Be Your Man, and that became their like first big hit. And then they all were, like, honky-dory together. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, but he said basically they had a, a pretty symbiotic relationship. There's The ones that are alive are still friends to this day. They kind of had, like, the good cop, bad cop um, thing going on in the press. Like, the Beatles were, like, the good guys. And then the Rolling Stones were, like, the bad boys. Bob Dylan actually wrote a song on his most recent album referring to the Rolling Stones as, like, the bad boys. They first got big in 1964-ish. Um, psychedelic music started to come out because people were getting their hands on LSD at this time. After psychedelic music, that was when the Rolling Stones started leaning more into their bad boy sympathy for the devil era. And then the Beatles broke up. My dad said they stopped playing in 69, officially broke up in 70. And then it was just all about the Stones. Like everyone was like super into the Stones. Yeah. So the Stones went out on their American tour in 1969, ended with the Altamont Free Concert. That was the last one. And I also put in here that my Google Doc is automatically capitalizing the stones, like just the stones. Like it oh, that's knows, cool. Yeah, it knows like when I'm referring to, I thought that was cool. And then I, so obviously we're going to talk about what happened at the concert, but I asked my dad, I was like, did this look bad on the stones? Like how did people react to this? There was obviously a lot of bad press because of the Altamont concert, but this just kind of like fed into their image of being like the bad boys. So it was kind of like... Almost an expectation, not that they, like, expected somebody to get killed, but, like, for there to have been violence at the yeah. concert, people weren't really, like, too shocked by that. I mean, especially given that the Hells Angels were hired as security, quote-unquote security. Right, but I, so what I thought was interesting was the great – I think I have it in my notes here somewhere. The Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane supposedly had used Hells Angels as security mm -hmm. at their concerts before, yep. too. So it was, like – not super out of the blue for this to have happened. Like, yeah. so it's like, uh, I think the juxtaposition of the Hells Angels and like the Grateful Dead is such an interesting thing to look at. Well, they first originated or started hanging around uh, the dead because of the acid test. Yeah, right. Because Ken of, Casey was friends with them. Yep. He uh, invited them out to the acid test and then, you know, it just goes from there. Yeah. Interesting. Formed a friendship. You go ahead. Well, I guess we'll start at the beginning of Altamont. 
Uh, Sam Cutler was the Rolling Stones road manager, and he met with the Grateful Dead extended family on Mickey Hart's ranch in Nevada, California. According to Sam Cutler, the idea for a free concert with the Rolling Stones originated from Rock Scully, the Dead's manager at the time. Everyone had visions for another Woodstock. Um, everyone just thought it was going to be another peaceful kind of, you know, free-flowing concert. They called it Woodstock West. Yes. Yes, I saw that as well. But Mick Jagger broke the one rule of free shows in Golden Gate Park. He announced it at a press conference. So it was originally supposed to be at the San Jose State University practice field. Then they moved it to Golden Gate Park. Then once it was announced in the press conference, they moved it to Sears Point Raceway in Sonoma and finally settled at Altamont Speedway the day before the festival. Do you know why that's a rule? I think because it could get out of hand. I see. So many people. Yeah. Everything like that. Because, I mean, Altamont was not meant to hold 300,000 people. And obviously neither is Golden Gate Park. Um, But switching venues so close to the concert caused a shortage of porta potties and medical tents. Yeah, I saw that. Did you see that there was like the two different perspectives of like how it happened, like Jefferson Airplane centered narrative and then the Grateful Dead, the Rolling Stones centered narrative where basically Jefferson Airplane was like, we came up with the idea to do a free concert with the Grateful Dead and the Rolling Stones. And then they had like, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. No, I didn't see that. So Jefferson <laughs> Airplane claims to the fact that it was their their idea. I guess. Like, if you look on, like, Wikipedia and some other sources, it's like they have it split where, like, Je- so what I wrote was that, according to Jefferson Airplane, they had the idea to host the free concert with the Grateful Dead and the Rolling Stones. Or Grateful Dead. I know there's not a the at the beginning. <laughs> but I'm like, how do I say it? Um, and it was originally intended to take place at the Golden Gate Park. There was issues there with the police and the hippie movement, the counterculture movement that was happening there. And so they had to move it. Then they were supposed to set up at Sears Point Raceway, but supposedly the owners wanted 100K in escrow from the Rolling Stones and then then finally ended up at Altamont. But then according to the Rolling Stones and Grateful Dead, the Rolling Stones wanted to do a free concert because they felt like ticket prices had been very high on their tour and they were like, this will be a good way to end it. And then originally, like you said, it was supposed to be at the San Jose State University's practice field then was moved to the Golden Gate Park, which they supposedly didn't have permits for, then to the Sears Point Raceway, but this time they were saying it was 300K in escrow, and then finally Altamont. So this is just a perfect example of like what I kind of talked about in the last episode where everything from the 60s and 70s, nobody fucking knows what actually happened. There's so (laughs) many different fucking stories. Yeah. So I don't know what like the accuracy is of all of this, but I just thought it was interesting because like even what you said was like slightly different from the two different things that I had. Yeah. So. And I mean, these are stories coming from people who were there and no one can really agree on what actually happened. I think based on some of the research I've been doing, it seems like there's a lot of like shifting of responsibility and blame and everybody kind of just wants to make it sound like they're not entirely at fault. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of like, white men saying things <laughs> welcome to america <laughs> and like i don't know when the like after concert call-in thing that they did at the radio which mm. i'll talk about too it's like everyone's calling in and they're like no it wasn't my fault no it wasn't my fault i'm like just a bunch of grown men being little babies yeah and well never mind we'll get to it okay i was gonna ask you a question about that um but so the festival headquarters was at the Dead's Rehearsal Hall at the Hamilton Air Force Base in Novato. was also home to Alembic, which is a sound company inspired by Owsley Stanley, 
I uh, mentioned in the last episode. Yeah, which is so funny because I didn't realize he was a human. I thought, like, at first I thought he was, like, a company, like, a lab. And then as I was, like, talking to my dad, I was like, oh, this is a person. And then I realized he's, like, an audio engineer. I was like, I did some shit research for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so Alzi Sandley was also known as Bear. Uh, he was the, I guess, inspiration behind the marching bears you see everywhere with the Grateful Dead. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Stanley was the Grateful Dead's first sound engineer and lead designer of the Wall of Sound, which was a 604-speaker PA system that could reach distances of up to half a mile without losing quality. That's super cool. Yeah. The Wall of Sound was something... That's that's a different subject, but yes, that's absolutely incredible. You seem like you want to talk about it. I don't. Oh, we're good. Okay, we don't have, you we don't looked, like, talk about you looked it. really excited. I, I, you yeah, like the wall of sound. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I would like to have experienced that. That was Aww. just, you know, 604 speakers. That's fucking nuts. That's absolutely insane. I've seen pictures of it. Yeah. But, you know. Another you and I need to go to a music festival together and just we get do. fucking lost in the sauce and like put our phones away for like four days and yes. just, yeah. We need to find one that we can both agree on. Yeah, then, that's so true. Because I don't want to keep going to EDM festivals all the time and like... I'm not going to make you go to that. <laughs> EDM's not my scene. Jam bands aren't really your scene. We've got to we find, find something. We can find like a nice middle ground for sure. I think Bonnaroo. I think that's kind of like a nice Bonnaroo middle ground. Bonnaroo would be great. Let's go to Bonnaroo. Depending on the lineup, I'm down. Or like Lollapalooza. Like one of those kind of like neutral ones where like anybody could go and just like. Just in, there's, there's something, something for, everyone. for everyone. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Sweet. Um, I think you mentioned that. Mick did the one thing that he wasn't supposed to do. I thought, so I have a little section of bullets that say, they jinxed it. Yeah. And so I feel like that is something that could be added to the jinx list. This one is, um, I don't remember what the guy's name was who owned the the racetrack that they ended up at, but the guy who let them perform the concert at the racetrack. And this is like, I'm. so when I was watching the Gimme Shelter documentary, I did voice to text um, notes, which I've never done before. And I was like, this is so nice. Like, So this is literally just, I'm going to read you exactly what I wrote. The guy who let them perform the concert at the racetrack is talking to the Rolling Stones lawyer on the phone and basically being like, I worked on Woodstock, I've worked with music festivals and large concerts, and I do not want to have to rebuild my entire fucking racetrack if the Rolling Stones destroy it, so make sure nothing bad happens. So there's another jinx. Yes. As you can probably assume. And then my <laughs> last one is in a press release discussing the concert before it occurred, they've already moved it from the Golden Gate Park to Altamont Speedway. And he's doing a press release about it, I guess. And he's saying that it's adjacent to the Golden Gate Park and it would be like a microcosm of society that would set an example for how to behave in big crowds. Like he literally said that, like not word for word because that was me like summarizing it, but he said some shit like that. He's like, it's going to be like Woodstock West where we just like show everybody that like you can coexist together and like, you know, there doesn't have to be any violence. And then we see how that turned out. Yeah. I just thought it was so funny. I was like, y'all need to shut up. Just do it already. Be about it. Don't talk about it. Yeah. And then I was reading um, the Rolling Stones magazine has like a 50 page article about this, like right after it happened. It came out in 1970. And I didn't read all of it um, because it was a lot. But (laughs) they were talking about how like it kind of like blew up in their face almost it was like a sad way to come to an end to like the hippie counterculture it was like everything that like america was like the greater america was saying about the hippie culture like came to fruition yeah and i'm like i get that but also it was like literally just one person that died like i feel like i don't know that maybe that's insensitive of me 
I just feel like when you have that kind of chaos, like that's going to happen. Like, I, yeah, no matter what the group is, whether it's the the hippie culture or you know, you could put that you put three hundred thousand people together, you're lucky if one person doesn't die. Right. Like I've been to festivals where people die, like have died there. Like maybe not necessarily a stabbing because yeah. there wasn't literally a motorcycle gang there, but like people die and that just kind of happens. But it was kind of they were like basically being like, yeah, like the the bubble popped like this yeah. like fantasy world that they lived in is over now and i'm like i don't think that necessarily means that i think they invited gang members to a hippie event and it got bad <laughs> yeah that's a recipe for disaster yeah it would seem okay i don't know do you want to keep going i feel like you have some interesting notes over there uh let me see i tried to put them in order but i feel like i'm kind of all over the place i feel the same about mine although i did see a quote from that Rolling Stone article you mentioned that said it was rock and roll's all-time worst day, December 6th, a day when everything went perfectly wrong. Um, Like I said earlier, the Grateful Dead was scheduled as the penultimate performers of the day, but drummer Bill Kreutzmann had the idea, hey, no, I don't want to play this. They had a gig later that night. The violence was getting too out of hand. They were just like, no, we can't do this. So they ended up not playing, ended up leaving. Uh, They did not, you know, they weren't around for the stabbing or anything like that. Um, Rolling Stones road manager Sam Cutler was one of the key organizers of the event. And it was apparently, there's reports of who hired who, whatever, whom, whomst, uh, hired the Hells Angels for $500 worth of beer to basically secure the stage, but not to be a police force. I think it ultimately just comes down to him, though. Yeah. It seems like, from what I've seen, it's just like, he has to take the fall for this. Yeah, it's it's... (laughs) It would seem that Sam Cutler's name tends to pop up a little bit more than anyone else's. Uh, But like you said earlier, you should note that both the dead and Jefferson Airplane used the Hells Angels as security before without any issues whatsoever. But there is much confusion around if the Hells Angels were actually hired for security, who hired them, and what was asked of them. Cutler's apparently only direction was to keep people off the stage. Yeah. Which, I mean, they did, I guess. I mean... Kind of. Yeah. I mean, you watched that documentary. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Mick Jagger was, like, weaving around people, like, trying to, like... I don't know if they were trying to tackle him or hug him or what, but, yeah, I mean, they they didn't keep them off the stage, but they got them off promptly, it would seem. Yeah. It seems like the common consensus is that there was not enough direction for the Hells Angels, but at the end of the day, like, they're not security guards. Like, how much direction are you going to give them? Like, you gave them $500 worth of beer, which is a lot of beer at that time. Yeah. (laughs) Still probably a lot of beer, but not quite as much now. But, like, that's a lot of beer, and they're just sitting outside all day long drinking beer. Like, it just, I don't know. But, yeah, they, like you said, they swear that they're not there to act as police. Basically, there was no real instructions. I have this quote that I saw that's interesting. So it says, political scientist and cultural critic James Miller believes that since Ken Casey had invited the Hells Angels to one of his outdoor acid tests, the hippies had viewed the the bikers unrealistically, idealizing them as, quote, noble savages and thus, quote, outlaw brothers of the counterculture. Miller also maintains that the Rolling Stones may have been misled by their experience with a British contingent of self-described Hells Angels a non-outlaw group of admirers of American biker gear who had provided non-violent security at a Free Stones concert earlier that year in Hyde Park, London. Cutler, however, denies ever having had any illusions about the true nature of the Hells Angels. So he knew that they were, like, legit yeah. biker gang. And yeah. um, 
the Stones, I guess, did not. And I think I saw a quote from, what's the other guy, Mick? Not Mick Jagger, but the other Mick in the Rolling Stones. Um, Is it like Hayes or something? I don't know. I don't know. The other Um, Mick Mick in Rolling Stones. He was like... He was talking about how, like, we always heard that America was super violent and it was just crazy to, like, see it unfolding. I feel like, okay, well, I know now, like, especially today, other countries view us as very violent. Like, I've met a lot of people from the UK that, like, they're, like, people say not to travel here because, like, you'll get shot. Because, like, other countries don't, like, have guns like we do. Like, if you have a gun in the UK, you're posh. Like, you are, like, using that to, like, hunt and it's, like, you're very uppity. Like, people don't just have guns. So, like, people come here and they're, like, concerned to travel here. And I had a professor from South America who said the same thing. And so it's interesting. But I feel like from, like, media and stuff, I've always thought that, like, there was a lot of, like, physical violence in the UK. Like, I always thought people would just get in, like, street fights and shit. (laughs) Do they not? Is that that not true? See, do you think the same thing? Like, I just picture them being like, you bloody cunt. You wanker. (laughs) Like, obviously not, like, guns, but, like, maybe a knife or, like, a a good punch. Like, I don't know why I always thought that. Fencing, maybe. I don't know. Fencing? That seems like a a British thing. I agree. But, yeah, so I thought that when I read that, I was like, that's so interesting. Like, they've just always – I mean, we are violent. So, like, it's not – it's not, like, out of pocket. But I also thought they were violent, too. So maybe they're not. I guess maybe it's just the imperialism about it. Yeah. (laughs) I just assume they're violent. I mean, I can see why people would be scared to travel here. You know, it's very, it it is, I guess, from an outside perspective, it's very dangerous. I think, too, like, the British people that I've met, I'm, like, the worst person they could meet. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, both of my brothers are dead from gun violence. And (laughs) they're like, whoa, you're a stereotype. So it feeds into the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. But it's true. Like, I think everyone knows someone by association or something that has had some sort of gun violence issue. So. Yeah. I think you're few and far between if you don't at this point. Yeah. But yeah. So that was my little tangent. Um, Going off of the Hells Angels thing that we talked about, how Sam Cutler knew, but the Stones didn't. Okay. This was the thing I was talking about. So Stefan or Stephen Ponick. Honek, who helped organize the Altamont Free Concert, hosted a December 7th, 1969 KSAN FM radio broadcast of a four-hour, quote, day-after post-concert telephone call-in forum. So they're like, okay, let's have a little post-mortem. And a woman who called into the program revealed that she had seen at least five fist fights from her vantage point near the stage and that the angels were involved in all of them. And she also described a general uncaring attitude toward people who clearly needed help. There was a girl who was dragged across the stage by her hair. Another was on a bad acid trip and bystanders were like kicking her and walking on her. And she said that she felt having the angels as security was an irresponsible move because everyone was like afraid of them. And I think that was most of my information from Wikipedia and the Rolling Stones. I think that was Wikipedia. Um so basically everyone in the crowd was just terrified of the angels, especially I think since they're in the U.S., like it's a U.S. tour. I think people in the U.S., when they hear Hell's Angels, like know what the fuck that means. So you yeah. like see the Hell's Angels at a concert and you're immediately, it's like when you see, like, I don't know about everybody. But when I see a cop, I'm immediately tense. Like if I'm out at an event yeah. and there's a cop, even if there's nothing wrong, even if I'm not breaking the law, I'm just immediately like. <gasps> Hide the stash. Yeah. Like my heart like pounds and I'm like, ah, so like. It's, I'm assuming it's 
I don't want to compare the Hells Angels to the police because I feel like they're kind of the opposite of the police. Mm-hmm. But like, or, you know, maybe I'm uneducated and I also don't want Hells Angel to come beat me up. But I feel like they're on the opposite spectrum of the police, but they have that same kind of presence where like you see them and you're like, ooh. Like, oh, shit. Something's going to go down. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little like biased though. My like ex joined a biker gang. And so whenever I see biker gang guys, I'm like, ah. (laughs) I mean, I can't imagine they're all violent. I don't think they were violent. Yeah. But, you know. Stereotype. They always do like the toys for toddlers things at Christmas. So like. So does Goodwill. (laughs) Goodwill can be a little problematic too. I don't know. I think like. I think it's funny when, like, gangs, they're, like, do bad things, and then they do, like, good things, too. Like, they, they're, they like, oh, I'm going to murder you, and Yin then and they're, yang. like, here's a donation. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, you got to play out the karma, you know? Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, yeah, I, I can see how everyone was, you know, a little on edge. Uh, throughout the day, the crowd and the angels became progressively agitated and violent. Um, the crowd attacking each other, the angels, and the performers – Angels became enraged after someone pushed over one of their bikes. Lead singer of Jefferson Airplane, Marty Ballin, jumped off the stage to help with the issue, but was knocked... (laughs) I don't know why I wrote this. Was knocked the fuck out by a Hell's (laughs) Angel in the middle of the band's set. And Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young was reportedly stabbed in the leg multiple times by a Hell's Angel with a sharpened bicycle spoke. What? I did not see that. What the fuck? I don't know if he was on stage and singing and... And so he's just like... Yeah, yeah, like, just like, fuck you. I don't know. What I the don't... actual fuck? Yeah. I couldn't find much more about that, but I, I did see that. That's insane. Um, I wrote, it appears the crowd was just like generally incredibly rowdy throughout the entirety of the concert. Um, and then adding the aggressive energy from the Hell's Angel angels who had been chugging beer all day. Bad combo. I have Denise Jukes, or Jukes, I don't know, lead singer of the local San Francisco rock band, the Ace of Cups. She was six months pregnant, and she was hit in the head by an empty beer bottle thrown from the crowd, and she suffered a skull fracture. Holy shit. Yeah. The Stones, um, like, paid for her ambulance and medical fees and everything. Is the baby okay? I didn't see. Yeah. I guess she got hit in the head. The yeah. The baby didn't get hit in the head, but, you know, that's <laughs> fine. Yeah, that's fucking crazy, though. Like, that's a pregnant woman. And then I also saw that the angels armed themselves with sawed-off <laughs> Sorry. Pool cues. What were you going to say? Pew cues. Pew cues. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could see you, like, start to say something. You laugh to yourself. And I was like, it has to be something. No, good. my brain, I was like, that's hard. So, which is, like, such a, like, that's, like, the most biker gang thing I've ever heard. Like, they're just carrying around pool cues. like Sawed-off pool cues at that. Like, what does that mean? Like, it's just sharp wood? Yeah, I guess. And then they also had motorcycle chains, and they were like, get back, get back. I mean, that's, I mean, not probably the best way to control a crowd, but it's pretty badass to think if you're just swinging a chain above your head, get the fuck back. It's like a caricature. Yeah. It's like the most, like, I, like, want to make art of that. Like (laughs) You should. (laughs) Make a painting. I might. Um... Oh, I, I I wrote this note. It's so random. There was a scene in Gimme Shelter where there's like, you probably remember this, but there's the guy like crowd surfing and he's just like squirming and flailing and it looks so uncomfortable and everybody just looks pissed off. They're just kind of like pushing him away. It looks like the most like uncomfortable crowd surfing I've ever seen in my life. 
Yeah. Have you ever crowd surfed? Oh, yeah. Yeah? All the time. I used to go to, like, so many heavy metal concerts when I was a teenager, and I would crowd surf. And, like, sometimes it like, the right EDM show, there might be some crowd surfing. But, yeah, definitely. I love crowd surfing. Yeah. I've uh, I've never done it myself. Really? Uh, I used to be 300 pounds. Who the fuck is going to... Is gonna I've hold seen me so many crazy things at concerts. People have done it. I've seen probably people that weigh more than 300 pounds. I've also seen people that were like in wheelchairs. That seems dangerous. You could definitely do it now. Yeah. You could totally do it just now. Just gotta find the right concert now. Yeah, for sure. It'd be like Jack Black jumping off the stage on School of Rock and just hit, <laughs> just land on the fucking ground. Yeah. What was I at the other day? I was at the Suicide Boys concert and there were people crowd surfing. How was the concert? It was so much fun. I had not been to an outdoor concert in a long time. Like, I think the last time was, like, maybe Okeechobee, like, the festival I went to in March. Yeah. Um, it was very pleasant. It was hot as fuck at first, but then once the sun went down, it was chill. But there was, like, six opening acts, so it was literally a four-hour concert. And, like, it was a very special moment for Mandy because, like, her brother passed away, and that was his favorite band, so it was kind of like a like a final send-off, like, yeah, in uh-huh. honor of him. And so we got there. At 5.30. Started at 6.30. And then there were, like, six acts. And they didn't come on until 9.30. And then we left at, like, 11. So we were standing from 5.30 to 11 because it was worth it. It was a really good performance. Everyone was great. I had such a fun time. Um, But so we snuck into the pit at the amphitheater. So Mandy bought a $300 pit ticket, right? Ashley and I had lawn seats mm-hmm. and so mandy gave us her login to her Ticketmaster account so mandy went in first and she was like they're scanning tickets and giving wristbands like just try it and we we're like fuck like you've already scanned your ticket so ashley went first because i was like if anyone should get in between me and ashley it should be ashley like they can go up there i'll sit on the lawn like i have friends here i'm not even like a super crazy suicide boys fan like no. i couldn't tell you like their music i like to listen to them but i don't you know so i was like I'll let her do that. So she gets in and she calls me and she's like, hey, I told, like, they scanned my ticket. They said it was invalid. And they're like, where'd you buy this? And she told them Seat Geek, And she was like, my friend's already in there. Like, we bought our tickets together. Is it not working? Like, trying to be like, why isn't it working? Yeah. And she was like, okay, I'm going to let you in. And she was like, well, I have a friend that, like, we, we, we all bought our tickets together and she hasn't come in yet. And so she, like, told her what I looked like. So she'd be, like, prepared to just, like, let me in. Yeah. I was like, okay, bet. So I walk down there and there's, like, two checkpoints. I get through the first one. And I go to the second one, and there's not a woman standing there. So I was like, fuck, like, this lady must have, like, went and took, like, a bathroom break or something. It's, like, these two old dudes. And I walk up. I was so bad at acting. And I, like, pulled out the <laughs> ticket. And they scanned it, and they're like, it's invalid. And I looked at them, and I was like, oh, no. And they were like, where'd you buy this? I was like, Seat Geek. Like, is it not working? My friends are in there. Like, we bought them together. And he was like, it's invalid, hun. And I looked at him, and I was like, what do I do? Like, this is my ticket. And then he was like, it's your lucky day. And he gave me a wristband and let me in. And I was like, fuck yeah. So we all got in. It was super chill. But yeah, it was fun. And then the pit, it wasn't like too many people. Like it was like there was actually room. Like at one point we like sat down like at the back. Like in the pit? Yeah. Okay. So it was like really chill. Where was it? Was it PNC? Uh, Yeah, the one by UNC Charlotte. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's a good arena. I like that place. I hadn't been there since like Warp Tour like years ago. So it was really Uh, cool. I miss Warp Tour. Yeah. That was always a fun time. Yeah, I wish they would still do it. Anyways. Anyway. <laughs> that was a tangent. Um, okay. So a guy did the crowd surfing. There's lots of stopping and starting of playing music because people are just getting on the stage. People are getting hurt. They need doctors. 
Um, like you said, supposedly accidentally somebody knocked over an angel's motorcycle. And so the angels get pissed off. And the, I think someone called in to that, like, after concert thing. And they were like, if you touch my bike, I'm going to get angry. That's what all my money is invested in. That's my life. That's my baby. That's my wife. Like, That was at the so beginning cringe. of the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. I'm that. like, I get it. But, like, move your bike. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Why dude. is it by the stage? Like, what are you doing with it? I remember there was, like, one moment in the documentary where they were, like, I think it was Jefferson Airplane. They were talking about, like, you should never touch someone else's body without the intention of love. That's why the Hell's Angels are here to hopefully, like, police that. But then the Hell's Angels were touching people's bodies without the intention of love. They and must so have loved like... Meredith Hunter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, loved him real good. Mm-hmm. Loved him So long time. sad. They, the Hell's Angels entrance where they, like, drove through the middle of the crowd with the Rolling Stones on it. Mm-hmm. That was so cringe. You didn't like it? No. <laughs> At first, I was like, who's riding on their back of their motorcycle? And then I realized it was the band. Yeah. I was like, okay. I mean, I guess that's what they had to do, like, to get Security to the stage. Wise, yeah. yeah. I mean, you saw people rushing the stage, and I don't know. I, I still want to know, like, what's the point of rushing the stage? What are you going to do once you get there? I think this is, like, a a thing that I talk about a lot. But, like, just goes back to people being, like, weirdly obsessed with celebrities. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a person. Like, yeah. can you imagine if somebody walked up to you and was like, oh, oh, my God, like, freaking out? Like, I understand, like, they're an artist. You can appreciate that. But, like, like really, I guess drugs. Yeah. I think drugs is, like, the big factor here. Like, did you see that clip of, like, the completely naked woman just, like, barging her way to the front of the stage? I don't think so. She looked like, she was a sturdy woman. She looked like one of the women in, like, the Shrek movies. And she's, like, just completely naked, and she's just, like, Whoa, like walking to the front of the stage, and everyone's kind of like, ah. <laughs> I, I, like, put that in my notes. I was like, this woman is just, like, pushing her way to the stage. The Hell's Angels are, like, st- okay. They kept stopping and, like, talking to him while, did you remember seeing that? Like, they would just, like, talk to him while he would be, like, singing, like, on the stage. And I was like, what are they even saying? Like, no. Like, what do you, like, they, who, who stopped him? Like, the Hell's about? Angels. They would be on ah. the stage, and they'd just be like lean over and like talk to him while he was singing yeah i was like what is going on and then there was just people like running around the stage i was like this is so chaotic yeah and then there was a dog on the stage i missed the dog yeah there was a doggo like that ran across the stage i was like what are you doing buddy (laughs) so cute yeah i mean that's i I don't know again that's just it, it seems to me i know drugs are involved but it seems pointless to me to rush the stage i mean what are you gonna do? Like, you just want to hug the guy? Do you want to sit and chat? Like, I don't yeah. really know what what your intention is. But I guess if you're that fucked up, you don't really know what your intention is either. That's true. I saw a lot of fuck me eyes in the crowd. Like, there would be girls that were like, "Did that work?" Yes. But <laughs> I was having a conversation the other day. So fuck me eyes are a thing. Yeah. Okay. I was having a conversation between whether it's a fuck me eyes or fuck me smile, and. I think that fuck me eyes are more of a thing than a fuck me smile. I agree. Because a smile is just a smile. Like, there's not, like, a certain... I mean, I don't know. You can do, like, a smirk or something, but I feel like it doesn't land without the eyes. I don't know. I smile a lot already, but it's, like, the eyes that kind of just... When I'm trying to, like, lay it down, I use my eyes. Yeah. And, like, I, like, make really long eye contact, then you, like, scan the body, do, like, the up and down thing, like... And then you kind of, like, bat your eyes and, like... 
you know. Got the eyelashes a little bit. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Like, there was so many girls in the crowd. They were, it was like they would be facing away and, like, looking at the fight, and then they'd turn back around and, like, look at Mick Jagger and give him the fuck me eyes. I was like, I see you. I would be doing the same thing. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it just kind of rolls off the shoulder for him at this point. Well, at no. this point, he's 80-something, but... I, but then he was like a little baby, and they just got big. He was loving that shit. Yeah. In that in the shelter, and give me shelter. He was like, "Yeah, we're sexually satisfied." Uh, yeah, I remember. That. <laughs> like so cringe. Yeah. And then there was one girl. She was like slammed up against the stage, and she was just staring at them, like literally the most blank face ever, but just tears like rolling down her face, just like. Eyes sobbing, but, like, no emotion. Because there's, like, fighting. And then, like, also probably, like, what she's been waiting for for so long. And she's just, like, in the middle of it. Oh, that would be so sad just to be, like, there for the music. And be looking forward to this for God knows how long. Or just to see the stones or whatever. And then all this shit happening behind you. And you can't really enjoy it at that point. Yeah. Especially if you're on something, too. Because, like, being around violence, if you're, like, tripping, sounds scary. Yeah. I went to a uh, I went to a Bob Weir concert in Durham back in like March or April or something, and I was tripping, and it was all good for the concert. But then when I left the concert, there was this guy who could not get out of the parking garage, and he was like strong arming the fucking bar or whatever, and he was like just trying to like get out. And I was I was still like I was still feeling it, and I was just like, oh fuck, what do I do? Like I'm I'm not gonna go help this guy. Like no. I'm in no position to help this man, and. I was just, I was just like silently freaking out. Like, what is this guy doing? I don't yeah. know. I just, but just being around uh, someone in that headspace when I'm just enjoying life over here, just been to the best concert I've ever been to, and right. I go back, and this guy is just freaking the fuck out. It's a lot. It's a lot to process. It I really think. is. I mean, it's like goes back to set and setting. I, I think I made a note about this. Like, there's so much energy that's happening at this concert like there's the beautiful energy from all of the artists and the people like they all are there like i think originally with good intentions but then there's also like this crazy like violent energy and you can kind of see it like when he's in the documentary you see him like standing there and he'll be like he'll sing and dance and he'll be like you know gyrating his body and then he pauses and he's still like maybe singing or maybe not but like just standing there still like looking into the crowd and then he snaps back into it. He goes back to singing, goes back to singing, and then he stops. And he's, like, looking at the crowd. And I think, like, what you're saying when you're, like, well, he wasn't probably tripping. But, like, have you ever been at a concert or in a loud setting? And you're, like, look, for me, like, I'm thinking of, like, a EDM festival or something. I'm, like, mm-hmm. looking at the stage, enjoying it. And then you hear, like, something that sounds almost like a scream but, like, a a bad scream or like you just hear like loud people in the background and you turn around and you think you're like expecting to see a fight and it's just like somebody accidentally made a sound that sounded like screaming like last night I was at the club I was talking to my friend we're like looking one way at the stages and then we hear this like these people being so loud behind us but it sounded like almost violent so I turn around like is it a fight and they're just laughing like they were just being really loud laughing but like sometimes like you're there's like certain sounds that will like trigger like a Ooh, like a panic response in you. Yeah. And like, I feel like that was what everyone at this concert was feeling. Like even watching the doc, this documentary, it's like you feel so much chaotic energy coming off of it. It's like you can see the people trying to get into the groove of enjoying the concert. And then they're like jolted back to being like, oh shit, like there's actual violence happening. And then they go back to being into it and then, oh shit. And I feel like that's like 
not the the place you want to be in when you're tripping, especially no. when you're if you're tripping really hard because like you're already having like auditory and like visual hallucinations. So yeah. then to add like potentially scary sounds, like <laughs> plus it's hard once once you find yourself lost in that place and you get snapped out of it. It's hard to get back to that place to where you're fully enjoying it. Like yeah. if you're immersed in that moment and you're just feeling it and you you just let go of everything else. And then something snaps you back to reality. It's hard to let yourself go again. Yeah. And I know it's not necessarily the same thing because not even to do with violence or anything like that. But once you come down out of that, even if you're still tripping, it's hard to let yourself get back into that place once you've kind of been snapped back into it. I think because you're like so lost in it. And then suddenly you remember like, oh, shit, I'm standing around a bunch of people in this like public place and like you're yeah. you suddenly you sense everything again and you're like oh i need to be like on top of it like that yeah. was kind of how i felt last night i was like having a good night talking to my friend and then like you never know what's going to happen at the strip club yeah. so like suddenly i'm like oh shit like, like is there a fight like is somebody pull out a gun they're just laughing okay back to back to what i was doing but it does remind you to kind of like stay on edge a little bit and that's just kind of how like i feel like when i was watching this my heart was beating because i was like this is so intense. Like, I, I felt like I could almost feel, like, what it was like to be there. Because, like, the crowd is just so, like, sporadic and chaotic. Did you – this has nothing to do with this podcast, but did you uh, did you see where people at Scarewinds, like, a couple weeks ago were throwing poppers or something and people thought it was gunshots. They thought there was an active shooter or something yeah. like that. And they just, like, rampaged out of the park. It's so Absolutely. fucked up. It's yeah. sad that that's like how we live now. Yeah, like that it just we're like reminded concerned. Me because you said have to be on edge, but that's literally how I feel if I'm in a big public place like that, and I'm not tripping. Like if I'm going, if I'm in a concert and I'm not intoxicated in some way, it just sounds bad because I'm a musician. I should be able to let go and enjoy it. Sometimes I can, but otherwise I'm on edge and I'm anxious as fuck. And well, I'm just like, there are so many people right here, like. Someone could pull out a gun, something could happen, and that's right. just the day and age that we live in. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you shouldn't have to fault yourself for that. Like, you know what I mean? I think that's just the product of the atmosphere that we're living in right now in yeah. America. It's like you can't – like, I haven't been to the movies. I can't tell you the last time I went to the movie theater. Like, it was before the pandemic, but even then it had been a long-ass time. And, like, I haven't gone to Pride since I was, like, 19 because I feel like that's, like, a unfortunately, like, a prime – event target for people that are going to commit hate crimes like it's always it's always something wholesome it's always like a parade or like people having a good time and then there's somebody on like a high rise it's just like i'm gonna shoot yeah so i know a lot of times concerts have good like security and stuff like that so it's harder for people to bring in stuff but you just never know so i don't think that like that's like too out of the ordinary yeah it's just it's it's sad that we have to deal with that in our own brains you know yeah have to be unfortunately 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 (laughs) when it's been like 15 minutes since we've talked about ultima (laughs) i know um do you have anything you want to say um my notes end uh with just talking about meredith hunter okay Um, and that's kind of where i I mean, that's really where the whole thing ended anyway. Yeah, that's kind of where I was at. I think, like, the only things I had before we get to him was that, like, Mick Jagger's on stage. He keeps stopping the show and, like, asking the crowd, like, what are you fighting for? Why are you fighting? Like, which I think 
I think he did pretty good on stage. Like, I'll give him credit for, like, handling it the way that he did. Like, yeah. I wasn't upset with that. He's, like, begging and pleading with him. He's like, let's please make it a beautiful night. Like Brothers, kind of- sisters, <laughs> brothers, sisters, what are we fighting and what for? Literally, yes. You sort of just like him. Yeah, he's just like, like, what? And it's, like, sad because you can hear it in his voice. He's like, can we please just have, like, a beautiful night? Like, it would have been such a beautiful night. It would have been so dope. Like, where are they, San Francisco? Or, like, right outside San Francisco in December. Like, just, ugh. Like, all those bands. It looked like it would have been so fun. Like, actually watching it, I was like, I want to go to a festival. Like, it made me, like, want to go and, like go to a festival because I was like this looks like if it aside from the fucking violence like at the beginning when they're showing everybody arriving and like I was like oh I want to go so I thought that was cool and then this is when things take a turn for the worst take it away so Meredith Hunter um I guess the the this is gonna sound like it takes away from the other three deaths but I guess the big name death here was Meredith Hunter I Tried to rush the stage multiple times. Um, after multiple attempts to get on stage, returned to the front of the crowd and drew a twenty two caliber revolver. One report said he may have pointed the gun directly at Mick Jagger. Others report that he pointed it just into the air. Hell's Angel Alan Pissarro runs at Hunter, deterring the pistol with his left hand and stabbing him twice with a knife with his right hand. Autopsy confirmed that Hunter was high on meth at the time, and Pissarro was tried for murder in 1971, but was ultimately acquitted thanks to footage captured of the scuffle. He may have been, Hunter may have been stabbed as many as five times, but only two were caught on camera. Okay, yeah, so if you watch Gimme Shelter, which Aaron and I were talking about, I don't know if this is how he feels, but I didn't really love the documentary because it's not actually like a documentary. It was just like footage of the tour it wasn't like they were intending to make a documentary about the concert or that they were intending to catch this on film, yeah. but you can see they like slow it down at the end and they show you when Meredith pulls out his gun and like the whole situation. But so it's more just like you get a lot of like behind the scenes footage of them and then like a little bit of information about the concert. But yeah, so Meredith was 18 years old. He was there with his girlfriend. He's wearing like a green neon green pantsuit. And he's, like, kind of, like, one of the only black guys in the crowd. In the 1970 Rolling Stones article, there's, like, an interview at the beginning. And it's very much a sign of the times. It has, like, the interview question and then the person who was being interviewed, which was actually someone who was standing, like, right next to Meredith in the crowd and carried his body, like, to the medic. Like, with the the medical people, he, like, carried it back there. He said that he poured hot coffee on Meredith to, like, clean the blood off of him because that was the only thing they could have access to. There was, like, no water or anything, and they were, like, trying to clear him up. But... Yeah, in the interview, they were like, so tell us about this black guy that was murdered. And I'm like, can you just, like, say his name? Like, what is going on? But the interviewee was saying that, for the most part, like, Meredith was chill to stand by. Like, in his words, he said that he was really straight. Like, he was obviously on drugs. So, like, but, like, so was everyone else. So it was, like, he didn't, like, super fault him for that. He Mm -hmm. was, like, everyone was on drugs. So, for the most part, he was chill to stand by. Everyone was rushing the stage, so it wasn't necessarily like he was just being completely rowdy on his own. Like, everyone was trying to get to the stage. And then the Hells Angels and him had, like, an altercation when they were trying to get him off the stage. And I guess he, like, fought back. But it seems like, based on this interview, he was saying, like, Meredith didn't really say anything. He wasn't like, you know, like, fuck you, I'm gonna get on stage. He was just kind of, like, in a meth state. Which, if you're just, like, doing meth in the 70s... 
Like, I feel like that's just like insane meth. I don't know if his intentions were to be on meth. Cause I know nowadays, like if you're doing meth, you're like actively seeking out meth. But yeah. I feel like a lot of people that like do party drugs, they're concerned that what they bought has meth in it. Oh, I bought Coke or I bought Molly. Like I need to test it to see if there's meth in it. Yeah. But based on reports, it says he was just on meth. So I'm like, was he was he intentionally just on meth? But either way, like, just being on meth just sounds, like, awful for this kind of event. Or just in general, but I yeah. mean, I'm, who am I to judge? No, but. I completely agree. And, like, I think if you're going to use, like, harm reduction, whatever, everybody has to use for whatever reason. Yeah. But meth at, like, a Grateful Dead and the Rolling Stones, like, it just sounds like a bad mix. But basically, he's hyped up, whatever. So he's, like, fighting back. And then... I guess the story is that there's, like, four or five Hells Angels basically start, like, mugging him, like, beating the shit out of him. So then he, like, gets away, and then that was when he came back and pulled his gun out. And, like you said, people say that they think he was pointing it at Mick Jagger. I personally think he just got mugged, and he pulled out a gun because he's like, there's five biker gang dudes beating the shit out of me. Yeah. And he's on meth, and so he's like, here's my gun. Obviously, I wasn't there. I can't say. But it. people were like, oh, he was pointing it at Mick Jagger. I'm like, how do we really know? Everybody's accounts are different. I just feel like he was getting the shit beat out of him and he pulled out a gun. Yeah. Um, but Which means fair. I mean, that's... I mean, know, very five fair. To one. I agree. And like, so I don't know if it's like... I think that the angels did act in self-defense, like, which was what was concluded. Like, or not necessarily self-defense, but just defense of everyone in the moment. Like, this guy's got a gun. We got to stop him. Yeah. Um, But I don't really think that, like, I don't know. It seems like it was a lot of factors at play. Like, I think a lot of the narrative kind of centers around, like, obviously people are upset with the Hells Angels. And then I think a lot of people are trying to be like, oh, he was going to hurt Mick Jagger, so it was justified. I think it was just a perfect storm of, all of this kind of going on. I don't really know if like, would this have happened if he hadn't been beat the fuck up by a bunch of biker dudes or like, you know what I mean? But also why the fuck do you have that gun at this concert? Right. It's just, there's a lot of questions I have. There's no security at that anyway. Uh, I read that, you know, the guy who owned Altamont Speedway mainly just hired the security for himself to make sure that his place didn't get destroyed and not for the security of the band's. Um, and that's kind of why the Hells Angels were asked yeah, to step in. Yeah, I saw that. Like, he had his own security walking the grounds. Yeah. And they weren't, like, doing that kind of thing. And yeah. they, were, they weren't they were even dressed in security. They just had, like, a little badge. Yeah, a little pin or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then the Hells Angels were there as well. Which, I mean, again, recipe for disaster. I feel like you pay someone $500 worth of beer, have them out in the hot sun all day. A bunch of drunk, violent dudes with... Not just insinuating that they're violent, like, all the time, but, like, they're if they're carrying around pure cues <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the the chains and, like, you know, it just, it's not a good combination. They probably didn't need to stab him that many times. Like, I think it was definitely overkill. The Rolling Stones apparently finished out their set. Yeah, I saw that Which too. was interesting because I think they didn't realize someone had been murdered. They just knew like something had happened. And so he stopped and was like, hey, we need a doctor down there. But they finished out their set. And they said that basically they'd finish it because they were worried if they didn't finish the set, people would get even more violent, which I can yeah. understand. Turn into a full-blown riot. Yeah, they're going like, to be pissed off that like they stopped playing. And so I get it. I wonder if they had known there was a death, if they would have kept going. But either way, they, they stopped. They paused for a doctor. The doctor came and he was actually like a 
a medical resident, Robert Hyatt. And he said, this is a quote from Rolling Stone, I carried him myself back to the first aid area. He was limp in my hands and unconscious. He was still breathing then, though quite shallowly, and he had a very weak pulse. It was obvious he wasn't going to make it, but if anything could be done, he would have to get to a hospital quickly. He had very serious wounds. He had a wound in the lower back, which could have gone into his lungs, a wound in the back near the spine, which could have severed a major vessel, and a fairly large wound in the left temple. You couldn't tell how deep the wounds were, but each was about three-fourths of an inch long, so they would have been fairly deep. It was obvious he wasn't going to make it, no equipment to treat him, blah, blah, blah. He needed to be operated on immediately. He had a couple large vessels that had been impacted. And then Dr. Richard Baldwin, the general practitioner from Point Reyes, who supervised and coordinated the various medical units, agreed he had a bad injury and in that they got him in the back and it went in between the ribs and the side of the spine and there's mm-hmm. nothing but big arteries there. The aorta, the main artery in the body, and a couple kidney arteries. And if you hit one of those, you're dead. You're dead in less than a minute and there's nothing anyone can do. In other words, if you're standing in front of the hospital or even if he was stabbed in an operating room, there's nothing that could have been done to save him. Those are injuries that are just irreparable. Fuck. Yeah. And then Roland Prawl, senior coroner's investigator for Alameda County, said Hunter's official cause of death was shock and hemorrhage due to multiple wounds in the back, a wound on the left side of the forehead, and another on the right side of the neck. So they just went in for, like, the death kill. Yeah. They knew where to go, it seems like. They certainly did. Yeah. Yeah, that's scary. (sighs) Yeah, that made my body hurt a little bit. Yeah. Just about it. I think it was definitely overkill. I think, I don't know, I just think there are so many factors at play. I don't think we can really say, like, who was at fault. I don't know. What do you think about it? I mean, it's, I think you're right in the fact that you can't really point blame at one specific person. I mean, because who do you point at? Do you point it at the festival organizers? Do you point it at Sam Cutler? Do you point it at just the Hells Angels in general? I mean, there are people, there are different narratives, like you said, that kind of play it out in different ways. Personally, I think it's whoever made the call to hire the Hells Angels. And I mean, yeah, that's that's really all it comes down to. As simple as it gets. I think they should not have been there and they didn't really want to take responsibility for it either. I mean, if they were there to enjoy the concert, that's one thing. Yeah. Because they had been to other cons. They had, you know, the Hells Angels hung out with the Grateful Dead. Like that's, you know, during that time they were just kind of around and they enjoyed the music. It was peaceful. It was just all lovey-dovey. But you ask them to police the place, quote unquote, or not police or just act as a security force or whatever. I mean, you, you can't really you can't really say, no, we didn't ask them to do that when you pay them $500 in beer to protect the stage. Yeah. They did their job. I mean, fuck, you can't really – they did what was asked of them. Yeah, I agree. When I first researched it, I kind of was like – I guess I think it's like human nature to try to like pick sides and like be be right. We're just like, oh, that that's the right thing to have done. And I kind of was like thinking that the way it was posed in the articles I was reading was like, oh, he was going to kill Mick Jagger. Like they did their thing. But then when you read this like interview of the guy who was like standing next to him, it seems like almost like I can't blame the guy for like bringing out the gun. And I don't know. It's just very, it's very tricky. I think at the end of the day, the Hells Angels just shouldn't have been there. Like you said. Yeah. I I mean, 
You can't really blame, at least I, I don't think you can blame Meredith Hunter. No, it's um, so sad because he was so young yeah. and like on meth. On meth. So last thing for me is that Jerry Garcia and Robert Hunter of the Grateful Dead wrote a song in response to the reaction of Altamont. Not necessarily the, wasn't responding to the events as more of a response to the media reaction of Altamont. Okay. It's called New Speedway Boogie. And just from one quote from the song, one way or another, this darkness has got to give. And I think that kind of sums it up nicely as far as the events from that day. Yeah, that's really sad. I saw this in the Rolling Stones article, which I thought was super funny. So it says, it's as if the Altamont's organizers had worked out a blueprint for disaster. Number one. Promise a free concert by a popular rock group, which rarely appears in this country, announced the site only four days in advance. Changed the location 20 hours before the concert. The new concert site should be as close as possible to a giant freeway. Make sure the grounds are barren, treeless, and desolate. Don't warn neighboring landowners that hundreds of thousands of people are expected. Be unaware of their outfront hostility toward long hair and rock music. Provide one-sixtieth of the required toilet facilities to ensure that people will use nearby fields, the sides of cars, etc. The stage should be located in an area likely to be completely surrounded by people and their vehicles. Build the stage low enough to be easily hurdled. Don't secure a clear area between stage and audience. Provide an unreliable, barely audible, low-fidelity sound system. Ask the Hells Angels to act as, quote, security guards. So they were being sassy in this they article. Were, but I like it. I do too, because it's like, why were y'all so careless? Yeah. Like the negligence that went into this is crazy. Yeah. And I mean, even if they were taking a blueprint from Woodstock, which clearly they didn't, it probably wasn't the best thing to take a blueprint from anyway. Exactly. Like that was what I was saying. Everyone was like thinking Woodstock was so honky dory. I'm like, Woodstock was a fucking shit show. Yeah, Woodstock, and then what was it, Woodstock 94 or 99 or 99. something? 99. I haven't watched the documentary on that, but I've heard it's terrible. Fires and riots and yeah. I went through all my notes. I'm just scrolling through this article to see if there was anything that I missed. Um, 79 years old. I just looked it up. I was curious. Old. Elderly, but still going at it. Yeah, this is an interesting article to read. Like I said, it's like 50 pages, but... There's tons of information in it if y'all are interested in learning more about it. I think the whole thing about this for me that I couldn't like get out of my head was just, oh, that's a loud plane. Thinking about just the Hell's Angels and like the Grateful Dead and stuff, it just doesn't make sense, them being together. Yeah, I kind of wondered as well kind of how that, I mean, again, there's accounts of how it came about, but why, why together? It's just, it's literally yin and yang, like two opposing forces. I guess the whole point is that it's like during the hippie counterculture. So they're like, we can overcome whatever. Yeah. And then it just kind of. All goes back to Sam Cutler because he ended up working for the dead for a while afterward. So I think it's all for point and blame. I'm not going to point blame on Sam Cutler, but still. Can they just hire like a real security team? (laughs) No, no, absolutely not. What would be the point of that? It's like, this all could have been avoided. I think at the end of the day, people, like, as much as we want to, like, believe the good in people, like, there's going to be situations where, like, some people don't want to be good. Yeah. Some people want to be bad. And, like, you just have to, like, believe people when they tell you how they are. 
Take it at face value. Which is something I'm not good at because I'm always like, people can change and I'm compassionate. And so like someone could tell me something that's like such a huge red flag and I'm like, but you're changing. It's okay. And then they like go and do the thing. I'm like, okay, I should have just listened to you when you said you were what you were. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think you need a healthy dose of both. Believe people when they tell you things, but also hold space for people to change. Yeah. So I think that was kind of what happened here. Like they had done well at other concerts. So they were like, oh, I guess it'll be fine. And then it just got a little bit out of hand. I think it was just like everything, like the moving of the locations and like just a perfect storm for chaos. Yeah. A lot of men involved. I feel like they needed a woman's touch in this planning process. What happened to the naked woman? She was trying. (laughs) She looked like her name was Helga. Bertha. Or, yeah, Bertha. That would be a good one. I don't know. I like Helga. I like Helga, too. (laughs) Okay, I don't think I have anything else. Did you have anything that you wanted to... I don't believe so. I was just pulling up my sources here to to send over to you. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Let me look at... My sources are my dad, Wikipedia, the Gimme Shelter documentary, and the Rolling Stones. Uh, Mine are the Gimme Shelter documentary... uh, the Wikipedia and the episode of the good old Grateful Dead cast, Working Man's Dead 50, New Speedway Boogie. Is that something that you listen to? Mm-hmm. Do you like it? I do. Mm-hmm. Deadhead over there. Yeah. I thought you had another question. That's why I paused. <laughs> I thought I did and I lost it. All right. Well, do you want to plug yourself? Yeah. Uh, so my name is Aaron Chance Wilson. You can find my music online anywhere you get your music under the name Aaron Chance Wilson, A-A-R-O-N Chance Wilson. Uh, put out a album not too long ago on streaming services called new frontier you can find that there uh follow me on instagram say what's up invite me to be on your podcast as well i don't know uh same thing aaron chance wilson wherever you get your social media as well he's an amazing guest he's like the only other person that like ever really brings research which he doesn't even have to but he does (laughs) which i appreciate you can follow me at profskep podcast that's at p-r-o-f-s-k-e-p podcast on instagram and twitter i fell off on the twitter again but i'm gonna get back on it email me at professional skepticism podcast at gmail.com subscribe to be a patreon subscriber at patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash prosket podcast and i met with a friend yesterday and the website should be hopefully up and running within like the month so that's very exciting and yeah thank you guys for listening i think next week we're completely taking a left turn so i love you guys stay sus bye